I'd like to acknowledge Australia's First Nation people as the traditional custodians of the land, and for this episode in particular, the Paramang and Kurna people. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Sustainability is not just about one family, one winery, one region. It's actually about, it's a global a global thing um, and it has to start you know keeping people uh, you know sustainable communities sustainable um, towns sustainable industries sustainable countries sustainable you know and and on and ongoing this is over a glass i'm shante whale louisa rose is head of sustainability and brand ambassador for the hill smith family estates this is by no means a small operation but an estate that represents some of australia's most exemplary names in wine Her role is one of huge responsibility and dedication. And today, she's here to tell me why she loves what she does. Hi, Louisa. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Shante. It's my pleasure. I've been reading about you and hearing about your name for a long time. It's fantastic to have you on the podcast. I'd like to know, where did wine all start for you? Well, wine started for me, I suppose, in two ways. One with a family that always, you know, that enjoyed a, a glass of, of wine. Um, and so it was a, a natural part of our, you know, family life uh, to see a bottle of wine on, you know, on the table and particularly for special occasions. Um, and, um, you know, there was always a little bit of discussion about, about wine and, uh, and, you know, my family used to visit um, cellar doors every now and again. Not, you know, they didn't drag us from, from, you know, one to another to another to another. But when we were on holiday, if there was a, um, you know, a famous winery around, then we might, you know, pop in. So it always, yeah, that, that side of it was always, always seemed a bit of fun. And then in the, um, in the late 1970s, uh, my mother and stepfather, um, you know, started to plant a, a small vineyard. Now, we lived in, in Melbourne, and so that vineyard was um, in the Yarra Valley. Um, and there weren't a lot of wineries in the Yarra Valley at, at that point in time. There were a lot of dairy cows, um, but, you know, there were a couple. There was um, Chateau Yarinia, um, which is Graham Miller's, which is now where um, De Bordelis were, and um, St Hubert's was down there on the flats and, and Diamond Valley Vineyards up in the, you know, in the hills behind Yarra Glen. And so, you know, we, uh, we started to plant grapes. And what I discovered was that, you know, I just loved being in a part of that seasonality of, uh, you know, of planting grapes in winter and, you know, watching them grow in spring and training them and, you know, ultimately picking them in, in, in autumn when they, were, when they were old enough. And um, so that was, uh, that was sort of where it started. The Yarra Valley is, is such a beautiful place and obviously being so close to the city as well. Does that still have a, a special place in your heart? It does, um, absolutely, and it, and it is, and, it, and to see that that region flourish and grow to you know what it is today, um, you know, has been been amazing. And I actually, I you know, the other the, and, and one of the other wineries that was was there, um, of course, was Coldstream Hills and James Halliday sort of starting his his winery up. And um, you know, I can remember um, you know selling grapes to to James in those. You know, early early eighties and you know to mid eighties, and you know, and him coming along in his hired taxi truck, that picking up our hand picked grapes, and you know, the scale of it was beautiful, and um, you know, those memories are still really special of you know someone who now, of course, I know is you know such an important figure in you know the world of wine, not just Australian wine, but I um I, I do love visiting the, you know the, the Yarra, and my parents still live in Hillsville, and so it's you know it's a it, it's a special place. And always so beautiful. Uh, but all wine regions are beautiful, of course, right? <laughs> well, they are actually. <laughs> There's a reason people are living there and planting grapes there. But did, what happened to that um, to the vineyard and, and where you were growing grapes originally? Is it still in operation or is it being retired? 
Um, it's still a vineyard. Um, you know, it got to about 120 acres. Um, and um, in, in my brother... Um, you know, who who studied agriculture and, and works very much in viticulture and, you know, consulting and things. You know, he and I were both in the wine industry, but I think, at, you know, at a certain point, uh, you know, our parents realised that uh, neither of us were going to come back and uh, take up the reins. So um, they sold it oh, probably five or six years ago, I suppose, now, and they retired. And um, so someone else is now growing grapes on it. Oh, that's lovely to hear that it is still in operation. Now, you went and studied mm. physics, is that right, at university? I did, yes. Well, that's something that probably comes in handy even today. But when when was the shift <laughs> she to? Says, she says with some doubt. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure that it does come in handy. That's for sure. But what? Um, where was the shift when you wanted? When you thought, oh, I'm going to continue studying um, onology. <laughs> well, it wasn't really a shift, but I. Um... So, so when I was finishing school, it was sort of the mid eighties, and 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 the wine industry in in Australia in the mid eighties wasn't um, booming. And in fact, in the Barossa, which is where I've ended up, you know, there was a vine pool scheme. The South Australian government, you know, paid people to pull out vines because they were out of balance and in excess and whatever. So, um, I and when I finished school, I was only seventeen, and in in Victoria. Um, you know that's not old enough to uh, to drive a car, and certainly not old enough to you know to legally drink. So, um, you know, I realised that probably where I wanted to come to study, which was Roseworthy at South in South Australia, which is where the University of Adelaide had had just taken over that campus. But um, it's about now, you know, north of Adelaide, and and difficult to difficult to be a student there if you didn't have um, transport. So, I decided that for all those reasons, I probably actually wouldn't ever get a job as a winemaker. So, I should do at least a, a science degree. You know, and I love physics. I love science, so I did that in Melbourne. But my plan was always to come to South Australia and study winemaking. <laughs> Just thought I'd probably end up being a physicist somewhere in a university for the rest of my life, but that's okay. <laughs> I love that it, it was in the back of your mind that whole time. It, it, it's kind of interesting how things kind of come full circle. So when did um, your interaction and the venture with Hillsmith Estates begin? So while I was still, so I, I finished my physics degree and I came straight across to South Australia and and and, and did a the winemaking, you know, analogy as you say degree. Um, and in the the final year of that, which was nineteen ninety two, I was, um, you know, our, one of our subjects was, you know, now now you're you know you're nearly graduated, go and find yourself a, a, a vintage job in a winery. Um, and of course, wineries employ you know, extra staff during vintage because they need more hands on deck. So, you know, most students, you know, go and get themselves a job. And I was, um, I was living, um, you know, near the, near the, near the campus of, of Roseworthy at the time, um, just north of Adelaide and the Barossa Valley was only about three quarters of an hour's drive. And so I thought, well, I, that, you know, I, I'll probably never come back to South Australia. So I should probably get a job in, you know, in the, in, uh, in the Barossa and at least I'll get some experience there. And, um, so I wrote to all the wineries in the. Um, <laughs> I wrote to all the wineries that are in the Yellow Pages phone book, um, which is which is you know because it was all pre pre internet really and um, and um, and a, a, a couple of them wrote back um, and but one of them you know rang me um, and said oh um, you know we've got a job come in and see us and that was um, the the people at the Hillsmith family you know of course your lumber winery in Angerston home base so. That's that's really where it started, and I, I worked the vintage in the cellar, starting at midnight and you know finishing up at midday, which was just amazing to, you know, to see a, a winery you know in the middle of the night with people running around and you know doing all that beautiful work and the lights and the grapes coming in, and then, you know, and I, lo- I just love that. And they they said to me at the end of vintage, oh, would you like to come back for next vintage? And I said, of course I would, and uh, I'm still there. <laughs> Gosh, 
How incredible. I mean, your lumber, that name means so much to anyone that's worked in wine, that tastes wine. It has been on our family table, um, you know, and my father's table from before I could even remember what wine what wine is, um, and still such a special place in my heart. I still remember the day that I first tried the Kaylee. So incredible. But you've had such an in- incredible journey with the Hill. Smith Estates because it is an incredible estate that represents some really amazing brands. And for some people that may not know, we're talking brands like Yolumba, Jantz, Oxford Landing, Mesh, Nautilus, De Rimple, these Pusey Vale, these are some of the, the most iconic brands in, in Australia. How did your journey kind of from those days in Yolumba, how did that grow and what's it like to work for a company that just goes from strength to strength? Well, it is incredible uh, and, you know, it's family-owned and I think that's the most important thing. Um, we had our, um, you know, at, at, the end of, uh, at the end of the year every year we have our, uh, a Christmas lunch that the family puts on for, you know, a couple of hundred people on the, on, on the lawns of your lumber and we sit down and we have three courses and listen to the speeches and the new signatories announced that, at, at that party. But they also recognise people's tenure. Um, and you know, at the at the end of, of two thousand and three, um, the um, you know the, the announcement was you know made for you know uh, one of our people that we worked there for fifty one years. Um, so there's actually three people in the business that clocked up fifty or fifty one years in in two thousand and twenty three. So you know it's that sort of place. It's a family winery. It's run by these amazing family of the Hill Smiths, headed up um, by the fifth generation Robert Hill Smith and and his daughter Jess. Um, you know who's who are you know hands on. They were there at the Christmas party, dressed up in fancy dress like the rest of us. And um, you know that that's actually how it starts. It's 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 it. You know we we consider ourselves to be you know part of their extended family. Um, you know, to the point where they literally throw us a Christmas lunch. Um, and then, you know, they've also got these amazing, you know, viticultural resources. So, as you say, the you know, the, the beautiful vineyards in the Barossa are for, for your lumber and, you know, the Eden Valley vineyards of Pusey Vale and, and Heggies. And then, you know, from the 1990s, you know, the work we've been doing down in, you know, Tasmania and understanding, you know, what an amazing region that is for sparkling wine and, you know, cool climate, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. So it is just this 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 long-term family uh, view that it has of, of building up these amazing jewels in the wine industry. Mm. I can't. I can't imagine um, the responsibility that you have on your shoulders. But it is when you say that that you know th- there's people that have worked for the family for over fifty years. That's really says everything you need to know about the company. When when you find something that is. Um, you know, uh, an operation that you want to be part of that takes care of their staff. That's when you see people that have, have had tenures like that. But tell me a little bit about the approach when you're looking after um, winemaking and you're looking after all these brands. How do you um, approach keeping them under that banner, but then also have letting them have their own personality as well? Well, I think that's the key. And so it's respecting you know, the natural place, uh, you know, where where the vineyards are. And, of course, that's, you know, that's where wine starts. And, you know, most winemakers say that and it's, you know, it's true. You know, what wine, you know, great, great wines and the personality of wines come from where the, where, where the grapes are grown. 
Um, and the beautiful thing about having, you know, the, these amazing vineyards that the Hillsmith families own, as well as, you know, an amazing, you know, um, grower base, particularly in the Barossa, where we have growers that have been growing grapes for the same wines for the same family for generations of their own family. That consistency is where you get the, the personality of, of wine from. And as, as winemakers, uh, if you have a, a gentle touch, you know, you have beautiful grapes, a gentle touch where you can translate that something special that comes from the vineyard and of course it's that terroir word that you know we all use because there's not a better one sometimes we talk about our sense of place if we can trans you know not lose that when we're creating the wine that's how wines get their personality and then year after year when you have you know perhaps a little bit of vintage variation but you still have the same soil the same place the same grape vines producing those same grapes that we use it to make the same wines that's where you get that lovely sort of consistency from so it's not you know, it's not rocket science, but but I think, you know, and it's one of the things we've always talked about as a winemaking team that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, you just have to, you know, let the place, um, you know, you know, dictate what you do and not try and force it into, you know, being another style or, or, or being something, um, you know, that, that that vineyard isn't. And if you want to make a wine, you know, that has a different styles and different flavours and you go and find vineyards that, you know, that have grapes that have those, those flavours. Tell me a little bit about the, the kind of chain of command and how that operates. You obviously have wonderful winemakers working for you um, that are kind of, I imagine, located in some of these areas. You can't be everywhere at once. You can't be in New Zealand and be in Tassie and also be in South Australia at all the time. How does that work with all your other um, winemakers and, and, and assistants, I suppose? Well, it work. It works because those people, you know, ha- have history and have experience, and you know, it, when we get a new winemaker in, then they spend time, you know, learning those vineyards and learning from the people that that, that went before them, if you like. Um, so my role, you know, as as head of winemaking. Um, you know, for the vineyard has, has changed, um, you know, in the last couple of, well, in the last month, really. Um, and, you know, I'm moving, you know, more into the brand ambassadorial and sustainability, you know, areas. Um, the, the Sam Wigan, who's taking over my role as, as or not my role, taking over the role as, um, you know, as head of winemaking, I mean, he's, he's only worked for the business for 22 years. Um, <laughs> so he's been, you know, but, but he as a winemaker, a senior winemaker for many years, as well as the other winemakers, have their you know, their own the wines that they've been making, the, the vineyards they've been looking after. So, you know, while it, it's, not a, it's not a dictatorial way of, of, of making wines, it's literally, you know, letting people, you know, convert that expression of the vineyards, you know, into their own, into their own wines. And we have a very, um, you know, a, a very, um, you know, long-seated and, and generational sustainability program, which, of course, you know, includes many other things, but, it, but it's key in, you know, being custodians of land and vineyards. Um, and, you know, we, don't, we try very hard to let na- the, the, the natural balance, you know, come to effect in those vineyards. Um, we, uh, we encourage biodiversity into our vineyards. We work... Um, um, you know, with uh, the you know largely with just the indigenous yeast that come out of those vineyards that come in on the grapes to make the wine. So that's all part of how you know wines express themselves, and the winemakers you know love that. They they respect that. They they um you know they, they work with with that. But it, you know they they consistently make those picking decisions and bring the wines in. It sounds like it is, yeah, a, a real game of kind of checkers and, and and kind of ticking things off a list. But then at the same time, you, like you said, it takes takes years to understand a place and how, how the vines behave. So it really is about kind of putting in 
that time as well. I'd love to know, you know, when you talk about some of these brands, they have such um, loyalists, I imagine, and avid followers that have been drinking the wines for a long time. How do you balance kind of a changing climate, um, you know, a focus of, of the wines year in, year out, but also make the people that have been buying them for years happy? Well, I think it comes back to what I've been talking about, about, you know, if you get if you have consistent vineyards and they're consistently managed by the same people or the same families and the winemaking is, is, is you know, is, is relatively consistent, then then what you get is a slow evolution of 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 you know of change within within wines now climate change if if climate change is going to have a big impact on you know on grapes and the way that they ripen which it ultimately probably will but it's still it's still an evolution and the 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 thing that makes wine so consistent is a consistent of of, of those vineyards so they might have might evolve slowly but also What's um, popular in wines, you know, and fashionable in wines, whether it's something like, you know, how much new oak or what type of oak you use or whether it's, you know, the alcohol levels or the ripeness levels, those things evolve slowly. And I think that, you know, all that evolution, you know, through wine takes, takes our customers on a journey. As long as they don't see a huge change from, you know, one vintage to another vintage, which they which they shouldn't. That slow evolution is probably the way that their own palates and their own experiences, you know, the types of foods they're eating are evolving as well. So, you know, while we've got wines that we've been making literally with the same label since the 1960s, you know, if you think about things like your Lumber Signature or you mentioned the Pusey Val Riesling before, you know, the consistency of those wines with that slow evolution just, you know, overlaid on top of them, I think is what keeps our, our, our drinkers, you know, happy and excited and, you know, as they, as they age, you know, um, or come into wine and, and start on that, that journey, they, they go on the journey with us. Mm. It's really lovely to see um, in my time watching sommeliers that I've worked with that, that were older than me, that had a lot more experience, talk about wines like the Alumba wines and then see um, new sommeliers, new drinkers come in. Um, I had a wonderful experience with a young som that kind of said, hey, have you tried this wine, the Virgilis? It's Viognier. And I'm like, yeah, I know the wine. <laughs> But um, they were just amazed at, at the balance and they said, I've never tasted Viognier like it. And I don't think we've ever spoken about Viognier um, on the podcast. Can you tell me a little bit about the variety, how it grows and perhaps what you love about it? Yeah, yeah absolutely I can. So um, Viognier is a variety which um, in the sort of the 1970s they became almost extinct around the world it's it's home it's 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 home is in the northern rhone valley in a in a couple of small um appellations there um the the best known one called condria um within condria there's a, a tiny little appellation which is just one estate called chateau grier um and then there's also viognier grown um in cote roti which is actually a red wine region uh, but Viognier is white, and there's a small amount there which is blended in with what they call Syrah, which of course is Shiraz for us. So Northern Rhone is where Viognier um, is grown. But there were only we think about 11 hectares of Viognier, even in Condria, um, you know, back in in the 70s. And through the the nursery, it's it's one of the other things that Yolamba has is a vine propagation nursery that allows us to to grow really healthy young vineyards and new new import new varieties and all that sort of stuff. Um, Viognier was one of the varieties that we thought should should be doing really well in or could do really well in the Barossa, even though none of us had really ever heard of it before. Um, it was um, a variety, you know, coming from the same regions as some of the really old vines that grow in the Barossa, like Syrah, Shiraz, Grenache, um, Mavedra, 
so um, on a on a bit of a, a bit of a punt, uh, we, we we planted the first vineyard of Viognier in Australia in 1980, um, about the same time as a vineyard in in the Mornington Peninsula called LG Park. I'm sure you know as well. Um, with Bailey Meyer at the helm, um, he planted it the same year, um, and it really is quite a beautiful exotic variety. It's very different to the other white varieties that we're used to, but um, it's it's a variety that you know potentially has depending on where you grow it has lots of stone fruit flavors and aromatics. Um, but it's a low acid variety, so it's different to say Riesling, which we were used to making. Um, so it took a few years to sort of work out just how to sort of you know make this wine and you know how to get the best out of it. But at its best, Viognier is a textural, delicious wine that is probably one of the best wines I've I've ever either made or drunk um, to go with food. And it really does. I I throw this you know um, out to people, uh, you know, for, with, that drink our, our Viognier wines and basically say, rather than me tell you what this wine goes with, I'll just say it goes with everything. And if you can ever find a food match that it doesn't go with, let me know because my list of things that don't go with Viognier is incredibly short, um, and uh, um, and uh, and it's a much easier list to keep keep track of. Um, beautiful textural wine, um, you know, great food wine. Um, if you like sort of wines like Grenache and, and some of the Syrahs being made in Australia now with that sort of medium body and those, those textures and, um, you know, it's it's almost the same as in, in many ways as those wines except it's white. That's a really good way to put it because there's that, that um, fleshy mid-palate thing that I always talk about with Shiraz, which I completely agree, which just makes it for such – uh, pleasurable drinking for so many people. And I think when people, we see that Chardonnay is such a popular variety and it's so, it deli- over delivers in terms of flavor. Viognier has such a spectrum of fruit. You can almost find everything and spice in there. And like you said, that real beautiful medium bodied palate weight that just gives, it's so giving, isn't it? Mm, it is, and look, I mean, it, it can be, it can be a little bit tricky sometimes because because of that low acidity, um, you know. I think some, you know, sometimes winemakers think, oh, we need to add acid to sort of, you know, to get that sort of freshness. But in actual fact, if it's if it's made and it's balanced, it gets that freshness as red wines do from its tannins. And I know we don't talk about tannins much in, in, in white grapes because we think tannins are red and you can see them, but all grapes have, have tannins in their skins. It's, it's, it's part of the building blocks of those of, of the grapes. And as a, as a sort of a fine, I always talk about the tannins in white wines and particularly in Viognier, it's almost like that sort of refreshing, you know, slightly bitter character right at the end of the palate that just gives you that beautiful sort of freshness and, and let, lets the wine finish dry. In the same way that acid does in other varieties, so you don't need both. But Viognier has that beautiful, um, uh, you know, that freshness that comes from from the tannins when it's, um, you know, when it's when it's, you know, let to reflect itself. Yeah, interesting. Uh, we like that you mentioned the kind of tannins in white wine because I feel that perhaps some of the the natural wine movement and some of those skin contact whites has kind of reintroduced that idea of texture in white wines and something that it's kind of on the other end of the spectrum where people need it shoved in their face to kind of go, oh, yeah, that's kind of cool. But I think more and more we need to be talking about texture with white wine because it really is, you know, longevity and it really is kind of what gives the wine shape and feel and structure. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that's um, you know that that's so important. And and the way I I, I think about it is, you so there's so many components in, in any wine, white or red, 
you know, and, and all, what it's all about is balance. Um, and so it's, it's, it's making sure that ultimately once, once, once you've finished a wine, whether it's had time, you know, extended time on skins or whether it's, you know, a, 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 an old-fashioned reasoning style or whatever it might be, is that, that ultimately there's two things about the wine. One is it's delicious and the second one is that it finishes in a, in a refreshing way that makes people want to have, you know, another sip, maybe another glass, um, and, 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 and then think about what, 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 what it's going to go with in terms of food and, and occasions. Because, you know, that, that's really, you know, in a nutshell what wine should be. You know, delicious, refreshing, and part of people's occasions. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think it's funny because that one experience I had that I spoke of with the sommelier who who had discovered uh, your Viognier and uh, was kind of blown away. I said, "Can you imagine if you know they can do this with uh, Viognier, where there's hardly any planted in Australia? It's so well balanced. What they can do with the other varieties that they um, they produce, and and it kind of you know it gave him a second to kind of go, oh yeah, you're right.' And I'm like, there's a reason these wines have lasted as long as they have. I said. You know, if you tried the signature, I think the current release at the time was a 2009. I was like, this is an amazing wine. And I was like, and, you know, and it's released, you know, with back vintage. And so it was so nice because it, it got this whole conversation of some of these amazing estates that you represent back on the table for, I think, you know, some of these younger songs that, you know, if the, if the, um, label hasn't got bright colours and it's not cloudy in the glass, sometimes they're not as interested. <laughs> so it was a really good introduction to say, hang on a second, how about you just uh, let's have a little education on Australian wine. <laughs> yeah, I think, and look, I, I understand that, you know, people are often looking for, for new things. I mean, we all do that. And so, and, you know, the oldest family-owned winery in Australia that's going to celebrate, you know, 175 years in uh, in, in 2024, you know, that, that, you know, oh, we know your lumber. You know, we've been there. But, you know, reality is that you know we've got some of these amazing vineyards and you know we've got this absolute you know drive to say we learn so much from our history and our, and our traditions but gee we've got some clever people and you know and we're really excited about the future and you know please you know have, have a look at our wines again because um you know we they're really relevant for for, for now and tomorrow and you know our modern lifestyle I think that a lot of it comes down to an attachment of of story and I think with some of the, the youth of today, when they hear about a startup company, they're in their 20s, they're doing this, they're giving it a go, they, they feel an attachment to that because they're young and they're trying something new and they're, you know, um, they can recognise and, and feel um, kind of mirrored in, in what they're doing. Whereas I think that when you've got such a long history, it's hard for people to connect unless their parents or somebody else has had an attachment. But where that changes is when they go out and make a visit and, and see the history and you just see their, their you know, their pupils dilate and their eyes widen up and all of a sudden they've got this amazing attachment to this winery because they were there and they stood there and they saw the old vines and then barrel rooms. So it's interesting to see, um, you know, uh, people's understanding of, of, of place and understanding of, of somewhere like Yolumba or, or Heggies or all the numerous uh, brands that you represent. That's right. All, all, all regions like, you know, it's the same thing about, you know, when if, you, if you think about some of the, you know, the beautiful regions like the Varossa, you know, for example, or, you know, the other South Australian regions that have been around for a long time. There's so much history and, you know, and excitement, you know, just by even just driving around, even if you don't visit the wineries. Oh, incredible beauty, that's for sure. I want to talk a bit about sustainability because it is a bit of a buzzword at the moment. Um, 
when we talk about sustainability, we often talk about the, the vineyard and that's very important because this is the land that we need to nurture. But Yolumba kind of, and I won't say Yolumba, the Hillsmith Estates really kind of approach sustainability different in the way that, that it is a, a philosophy from business start to finish um, in everything that they do. And that's what I think is so important to talk about these days, not just about what's happening in the soils and the land care, but also how you approach it. So what does sustainability mean to you? Well, sustainability is pretty fundamental for a family that have got to six generations and 175 years. You know, so we, we think about generational sustainability now and we've really probably only talked about it actually actively since the 90s, but it's always been there in the, in the family philosophy. Um, and and, and it, we talk sometimes, you know, in sustainability land about ESG, which is the sort of environment, social and, and governance. Um, and that sounds, and again, that sort of becomes a bit sort of buzzwordy, but it's very true. Um, and the, the the social side of of um, sustainability, you know, is 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 really important. Um, if people that have been in our family, if it, well, if you come to the to the to the Yolumba Winery, which is sort of the home base in, in Angerston, and you walk through our reception area, there's big barrel heads on 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 the walls, and there's lists of the people there that have have um, have worked for the business um, for 21 years. Um, so again, at that Christmas party um, that the, the Hillsmith family, you know, throw for the for the, for the, all the people that work at the at the winery and, and surrounding vineyards, um, the, the gold watches are given out to everybody that gets to, to twenty one years, and they come up and they accept it. And there's a speech, and there's you know the family, you know, talk about um, you know ha- you know the, the, something sort of fun, and you know, and, and the, the passions of the of those individual people. That we call those our VSOP boards, very special old people. Um, and there's lists and lists of these people that are that, that are up there. We, you know, at the Christmas party in, in just before you know Christmas, um, we had uh, I think it was now I'm going to think I think there might be 14 people that got to to 21 years. So um, it's incredible to do that. And if you look at those VSOP boards, there's people there that are still working in the business that have just clocked up 50 51 years with the, with you know with Chris Gahardi. Um, but there's there's lots of people that are still working in the business that have been there for 40, 45, you know, 35 years, 30, 30. I, I, I've, I had fought 30 years full time in the, in January 2023 and really, you know, there's there's plenty of people around that have worked there longer than I'd have. So that's a social thing, right, isn't it? That's part of our sustainability. We talk about our thriving workforce. Um, you know, we, we look at um, the WSET, um, you know, training for a lot of our uh, a lot of our, our, our people if in, in, within the business, um, and and look after part of part of the industry by offering that training to uh, people in the trade and and, and externally. Um, the family, uh, the Hillsmith family, sponsor you know every sporting club that there is in um, in in Angerston. Um, you know the bowls club, um, the football club, the netball, the tennis. You know they're they're part of society. Um, in August every year, in South Australia, there's um, a, an art um, festival called Sala, which is South Australian living artists, and this an artists from all over in all types of different you know disciplines of art. Um, you know they they are, they are invited into various places, and the Alumba um, Wine Room or our cellar door is one of those places. So there'll always be an exhibition of of of, of some up and coming you know local artist in the. Um, 
in the um, Salador area there. Um, and then the, the family also, um, you know, spend a lot of time, um, you know, committing um, their, their their staff to, to industry bodies um, and, and to help the wider um, wine industry um, society uh, improve. So, you know, we've, we've had... Um, you know, people on the you know the, the wine Australia boards uh, over over the years. I've I chaired um, you know and was a director of the Australian Wine Research Institute for a number of years. Um, you know, the pe- we've had people on the South Australian Wine Industry um, Association, for example. So, giving back to the industry, helping to build stronger and you know more collaborative industries is also a really important part of of our sustainability, right? So, you think I'm getting off track, but it's a really important part because sustainability is not just about one family, one. one Winery, one region. It's actually about. It's a global, a global thing, um, and it has to start. You know, keeping people, uh, you know, sustainable communities, sustainable um, towns, sustainable industries, sustainable countries, sustainable. You know, and and on and ongoing. Um, so that's you know, and that's what a generational family can do. It has you know, in like everything, and not just the environmental side. It's about. It's about thinking of about and making decisions for the next generation or the generation after, not about what's going to happen at the end of this financial year or the end of next financial year. Now, that's not to say that, that, that the, the governance side isn't important and that's why when we talk about ESG, that G's in there as well because, you know, governance and having, you know, strong sustainable businesses in, economically is also really important. So that balance has to be there. Um, as um, I've heard, and this is not my quote, absolutely, but I love it. You know, if you're going to be green, you know, you have to, you, you can't be in the red. You know, you've got to be in the black to be green. So you have to be economically sustainable as well. And that goes that goes for countries as well. If you think about, you know, countries that are that are, that are battling with, you know, how do, how are we going to, you know, get our uh, our emissions to net zero by by 2050 and actually keep the economy in a way that keeps that keeps a, the community sustainable that's a really that's a, a really hard balance for, for many countries and you know it's it's uh, it's one that we're, we're as as societies we're going to be going through as a global society going through for the next you know decades uh, if uh, if we've got some hope of a you know a happy and green planet in the future. So true. It, it really is just thinking broad and thinking about, you know, every action that we make has an effect and has a, has a consequence and, and, you know, just evaluating what, what can we do and what better, what can we do better? What can we do more? And I, and I, I love that approach because I think, you know, when I, I was reading about the work that you do, I thought, here's somebody that really understands what it means to have an impact in the time that 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 you have on this earth and um and i think that the philosophy from the hillsmiths is one that is incredibly um broad and forward thinking and you know like you said looking at generations and generations and generations down the track and really understanding that they have huge responsibility um and and you know living living by that which is amazing yeah absolutely it is and and i think you know one of you know why do people 
um, you know, come and work for the Hillsmith family and, and stay for so long. It's because it's because absolutely of that philosophy, um, and the, you know, and it's all part and parcel of understanding that you know that we're such a small player in, in in a large industry. And you know, one of the great things about the wine industry, and you will know this from having spoken to many people over over, over many years, is just how beautifully collaboratively um, you know people work together. You know, rivals are different businesses that ultimately might be competing on a on a restaurant list or in a, on a wine shelf, but but absolutely working together you know for the betterment of everyone and we understand that you know the better wine is the better we're looking after the environment the more we work in sustainability or whatever it might be you know the better off we're all we're all going to be you know it's lifting the whole uh, the whole bar and everybody working together to lift that bar and then you know if if one day someone chooses a yellow wine off the wine list well that's a you know that's almost a bonus you said that so well, and I and someone asked me once, you know, the Australian wine industry, what's it like by comparison to others? And the one thing that I could probably put my finger on is this collegiate nature of the way that we work. It's kind of in our DNA and our personality in that we drink each other's wines, we share secrets and and you know, different winemaking techniques. It's all about learning and growing together where it's, you really don't see that as much in, in a lot of other countries. I think there is more um, competition and that can kind of competitive nature of who's selling more wine. Whereas in Australia, we are, um, we're a community and, and it's, it's such, it's a beautiful thing to see, but it, it is um, something that I would say is a bit of a trademark of the Australian wine trade. Yeah, I think it is, and I think it's how we've managed as a relatively small country and a small industry, being so successful around the world, you know, over over the decades. Um, but you know, it's I say it's really important, you know, and it is the way that we're going to come out the other end of you know of of wherever climate change takes us, and you know whatever we're all going to look like, um, you know, in a couple of decades in this magic twenty fifty uh, year, um, you know, if there's a place for wine, you know, in a in a, on a planet that'll be one and a half degrees warmer, and you know, have another nearly two billion people on it you know we're we're going to have to work together to, to make it a you know a, a place that we're we're proud of being part of well you speak so beautifully about that i love that louisa tell me louisa is there um you know a wine that if you were going to just drink three wines for the rest of your life i know this is a terrible question but if you were going to th- have three drinks for the rest of your life what would they be and why um, well, one would have to be Riesling, um, and if were, if you had to narrow it down, then down, then Riesling would be you know the drink. Um, now, sometimes in the you know in the Eden Valley in the Barossa, we don't really think about Riesling as a wine. So if you're having an alcohol-free day, you know having a glass of Riesling doesn't count. There are some people that are rude enough to say it's almost like the Barossa sports drink. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure that's a totally responsible thing to say, but you know something fresh, citrusy, lovely. You know, um, you know we have you know. There are lower alcohol styles that are great to start the day off with. So, you know that would that would be one of it, one of them. Um, you know, but I think one of the you know on the flip side, you know, one of the most beautiful things about wine is that you could have a different bottle of wine or a different glass of wine. Doesn't have you don't have to drink a whole bottle, but a different wine every day of your life and never have to go back and you know and and repeat. Um, now that's not to say that there's not a place for our favourites, of course, series, but it's so diverse. There's so many cultures so many places to to investigate and to to learn about through wine um that you know if you choose to do that it's so exciting so limiting it to three really tough let's start with let's start with with riesling and then i think it's just going to have to be some other you know another two textural wines that i probably just choose on the day mm, i like that it does depend on the mood and the climate and and what you're eating and who you're with right huh? 
Yeah, that's right. If you're sharing a wine yeah. that you really love but the people you're sharing it with don't love it, then that takes the enjoyment out of it for you too, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. I agree. I, um, I'm i going to break my rules here, but I want to know, you talked about Fionia being such a food wine. I totally agree. My mind boggles just thinking about the food and wine pairings that would work. Have you had one that tops the list that you had an experience with where you were like, God, that's probably one of the best pieces of food I've put in my mouth with Viognier. Yeah, uh, yes, although it is hard. I, I, it, I, uh, before I answer that question, wh- one of the things that I want to do at some point in my life, and I'm not sure politically or, you know, socially whether it's the lever work, but I'd love to put a, you know, a case of Viognier in a backpack and travel the spice route of the world um, because, you know, spices and Viognier go so well together. You know, from the Northern African to the Spice Islands to any Asian country, whether it's, you know, the fresh zesty salad salads with chilies to the really complex sort of earthy spices through India or something like that. So Viognier and spices go really well together. But one of the best things I've ever had is a Moroccan tagine. Um, and, it, it, and, and, and it was, you know, it's, it's the layers of different flavours from them earthy flavour spices to the more high-toned ones to some fruit and to some meats and all that sort of complexity. It was just so perfect, uh, you know, with, with, with the Viognier. So that would be the one, the one dish. But, uh, again, you know, life would be boring if it was just one, one, one meal, wouldn't it? Yes, luckily we don't have to make make those choices. But, uh, yeah, Moroccan tagine, yum. I remember being in Morocco and having tagines and being like, God, like I always think, God, fruit and, I don't know, it, it kind of makes me think, ugh, fruit and meat and yuck. And then you try a tagine and you think, oh, yeah, okay, I see what's happening here. Yeah. It's a bit more than the old apricot chicken grandma used to make. <laughs> yes, it's exactly <laughs> what I'm thinking. I can't think of like pineapple in a sweet and sour pork and think, oh, good God. But um, no, you're 100% right. Apricot chicken, yuck. But Moroccan tagine all day long. Yep. <laughs> Louisa, it's been so lovely to hear a bit more about you. Um, what an incredible job you do there. And uh, the, the Hillsmith family, what an amazing job they do for all of Australia. Um, it's just fantastic to chat and thank you very much for making time for me at the most busy time of the year uh, on a Friday. I don't know how you've done it, but I am extremely grateful. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. Love to chat. Cheers to you, Louisa. Thank you. Bye. Cheers to you too. This is Over a Glass. I'm Shante Whale. Stay tuned for more stories from the world of wine and drinks. Listen in every Thursday on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Over a Glass Pod and contact us at Over a Glass at deepintheweeds.com.au.